With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. This is a podcast. 25 whistles talking playoffs and they all wear a whistle yeah it's stupid but what did you expect it's a podcast called 25 whistles 25 whistles yeah let's get the show started all right coming up a little later on nfl cornerback safety defensive back logan ryan pretty cool came to the studio sat for almost an hour we talk about high school recruiting his dad making him making a play offensive line Back in the early days, just so he knew what it was like, getting drafted by Bill Belichick, the Super Bowl rings, getting Tom Brady to sign something, all that coming up in a little bit. You can follow Logan on Twitter, at RealLoganRyan. And I, I don't want to pass off that too quickly. We'll come back to it, but we got to get right to it. Kevin, mm-hmm. let's do this. Before we get sad, I want to get happy. Okay. Being a Celtics fan, game six, talk me through it because, wow, what up, then a down, then up. Yeah, it's been a while since I felt like that as a fan. And it went from the ultimate low to the ultimate high in a matter of, what, 0.2, 0.4 seconds? Oof. And I haven't, I mean, I was talking about it a couple days ago that it compares to the whole Malcolm Butler, not necessarily because Butler actually won the Super Bowl, so that's different, but from being, dang, we're going to lose this. Our season's over. This like Marshawn's for sure going to score a touchdown yeah. here. Yeah, this is it. Uh, you know, the Falcons being up 25 at half, man, we're going to lose this game. But, I mean, snap of a finger. Everything changes, and you're freaking out, and you're jumping up and down, and you're screaming, and you're enjoying it, but then you got to remind yourself that the next day, you're like, dang, we got to win another one. Whenever they watch back on the Jumbotron, because both teams were watching it right after it happened, and you see that the ball was out of his hands with .1 seconds left, mm-hmm. and the Celtics went crazy, that was an awesome thing to see. Yeah. They were like, ah! So cool. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was so cool. And you know what? They're for sure going to win Game 7 because Game Seven's back in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then when I start to read things like Miami, they didn't even book a flight back to Miami after the game. They booked a flight to Denver. Didn't even book a flight back to Florida. No, no, no. They've already booked a flight after Game 7 to go to Denver to get ready for the Nuggets in Boston. Game 7. You got to feel good before the game starts at least, right? Absolutely. Right. Hey, yeah. Better. But I, I will say, like, I wasn't totally confident yet. They're an, they were an eight-point favorite. I know. That's how it was all series, except for one game, though. They're an eight-point favorite. So it starts, and Tatum goes down. First play. And that set the tone for them. Not saying that's why they lost. Obviously, they still should have won. 
Jalen Brown is a whole different subject. But yeah, first play kind of set the tone. And you could tell it kind of deflated their team a little bit. A little energy. The crowd was still into it. Tatum also had, you know, 14 points, 11 rebounds. The 11 rebounds was big because he did have to change what he was. Listen, you want him scoring. You want to be in that guy. He wasn't able to be that guy. But he did turn into a guy that was playing a bit of a different game. You just needed Brown. You just need some of those other guys to step up scoring-wise. Yeah. Do you feel like that was the, like that was it, that when you need when Brown's your leading scorer? Yeah, and, and our offense was just so like stagnant. It's just we're just sitting around there jacking up threes. Jalen Brown would come down, dribble the ball three times, and jack up a three from 35 feet out. There's no movement. They ran some zone that gave him trouble, but it's like start penetrating the zone, getting in there a little bit, then kick it out maybe and try to jack up a three, but I think they shot, what, 20% from threes? It was awful. Boy, Spolstra, he will throw a zone on you for like three possessions, and right when you're starting to go, okay, we're, boom, he's back in man. Like, he switches defenses quick. I was trying to think about Eric Spolstra where it's just kind of his, his story of he went overseas to work on some basketball team in like, I don't remember the country, what it was called, Algeria, but wanted to get back in here at the States. And so, you know, the old story about him going to the tape room in Miami, mm-hmm. that's what he did. They mm-hmm. wanted to build up, so that's what he did. He started logging tapes, quickly moved his way up. Freaking Pat Riley retired. Spolster was like 11, he gets the head coaching job. <laughs> yeah. I remember when he got that job too. I was like, it's basically LeBron's team. He doesn't have to do much. And I didn't, I, I didn't, felt the same way. I didn't think he was any good. I was like, he's probably whatever. And then here we are a decade later. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's pretty damn good. Yeah, Tatum, 42 minutes, 14 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. Brown, 43 minutes, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. I mean, Tatum still played basically the whole game. Yeah. And and Jalen, I think, had 7 turnovers. Not good. Really? Yeah. No, he I can't even dribble the ball. Derek White, 36 minutes, 18 points. Hero from last game. The key stats from the Heat. Butler, 28 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals. But I tell you, Kayla Martin... I, I'd never seen him play like that before. I mean, he just took over third quarter, first half of the fourth quarter. He took it over until no one needed to take it over anymore. They just needed to play even. Yeah, he was amazing. I got on DraftKings, and I was like, oh, you know what? Because the Celtics were down about eight. And I said, let me go look at the line, because I feel like the Celtics are going to make this close. And so I thought, if, if it's not too much, it was the Heat minus four and a half. And I was like, no way I'm touching that. No way I'm going to bet that because I don't think the Heat win the game by four points. If they do, it'll be one or two. Mm-hmm. So I stayed off of it like an idiot, of course. So I pick wrong all the time when it comes to NBA. I don't even remember the final score. I just remember at one point it was 20 points. Yeah. I think it was 19. was the final. I, I turned it off. You did? Oh, yeah. Three minutes left. They were down by 20. I was like, yep, I'm done. Well, if I would have done that, I, I would have turned it off, but I'd check my phone. Oh, I, I did that. Just, yeah, to make, yeah. just to make sure I wasn't missing a great comeback. But then do you turn it back on if they do come back? Oh, yeah. Okay. I sure do. Okay. Um, yeah, Martin had 26 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. Bam played 43 minutes, 12 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I didn't think that if it went 7 and back to Boston, that Miami would win. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. They tried to hand Jimmy Butler the trophy for the Eastern Conference. Is that the Bird trophy, or is the other one the Larry Bird trophy? Yeah, it's a it's the Bird one. The Bird, yeah, yeah. Eastern. And he was like, I want to touch that I want to touch the other one. I'll touch the later one if we get it. Yeah. You think Caleb Martin should have won it? The MVP? Nah. No? He was so good all series. He was. But he was so good in that, yes, he was really good. But that nobody expected him to be good, so he seemed even better. Yeah, good point. And, you know, Butler consistently was really good. It had to be, it had to be Jimmy Butler. I know. And that they kept showing the clip of last year when he missed the three at the end of the game. And he's like... Some I'll paraphrase. 
all right, we'll be bigger and better next year. Same spot. We're going to do it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. And the heroics of Jimmy Butler may be lost if they don't win the title. If they win the title, Jimmy Butler has elevated himself inside the consciousness of even middle NBA fans. If you're just a casual NBA fan, you're just starting to learn who Jimmy Butler is. If you're a diehard, you've known. Mm -hmm. But if he wins the title, like he goes up there to people who don't even follow basketball that much will start to know who Jimmy Butler is. But it's like Jokic too, right? I think there are a lot of people that are discovering how good he is now. Yeah. Even after he won two MVPs. Because Denver just doesn't get a... If if I didn't have basketball Sunday ticket, I wouldn't be able to watch his games for the most part. Yeah, I think even me as a basketball fan, I've watched more Jokic in the playoffs than I have probably in the last three years. And again, unless you had the package, the... NBA, what's it called? League Pass. Thank you. God dang. <laughs> and I watched uh, probably most of his games this season, not most, but most of the games that I watched from him were whenever the Embiid v. Jokic race was heating up and it was Jokic was the leader for the MVP and people were fighting for Embiid. And so I was like, let me just watch more Jokic. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy. Like he's just toying. Like a cat toying with mouse, mice, whatever way you wanted to. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry the Celtics didn't win for you. I was rooting for them for you. I know. I appreciate that. Thank you. There is Thanks, something Mike. something to say for you, though, in the death of your Celtics again, is that you don't really know a lot of defeat. And you still don't. You lost game seven of the East Conference Finals. I don't feel sorry for you. Just turn this crap off. I don't feel sorry for you. You have teams that win all the time, so screw it. I don't feel sorry for you. But Your losses are almost winning the championships. My losses are finishing next to last in the SEC West or winning 70 games out of 162 as a Cubs fan. <laughs> or So I ain't doing it. You've won plenty of titles with the Patriots. The Celtics have been awesome in your lifetime. The... Obviously, the, the you're, you're a Bruins fan, right? Yeah, not a huge one, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, fa- yeah a fan yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Red Sox, yeah. Reds, don't even get me started on the Red Sox. I know, I know. Now it's on the baseball You know season. what? I'm glad you lost now that I think about it. <laughs> 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 All right, well, we hit that first. Let's go to the tittle-tattle. It's time for the stupidest name ever. It's the tittle-tattle with well, last night wasn't one of them, but what is your most memorable Game 7 of any sport? Ooh, that's a good question. Now, I mentioned the Cubs earlier. I went to Game 2 of this World Series. I believe it was 2016, and I went to Game 2 or 3. All I know is we got crushed. And the Cubs hadn't been in World, we hadn't won a World Series since 1908. and It was such a friendly yet uncomfortably packed environment. It was awesome. We got whooped by the Indians. Game two, game three, game four, game five, game six. We're going to game seven, baby. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the same night as the CMAs. And it was either the first or second time they had ever asked me to come on the show and present on the CMAs. So you're talking about, I'd only been in Nashville for a couple of years. 2016, right? Yeah. And now they're inviting me to come be a presenter on the CMAs. And I didn't do it because I wanted to stay home and watch game seven. Love it. A team that I just spent hours and hours and days and days and years and years following religiously and they won the world series it was awesome and if i remember correctly it was the one that was delayed because it rained it kept getting delayed and that could be that could have been game six things are fuzzy at this point but i almost feel like that was game seven 
And I passed up an opportunity to present on network television for the first time. A really big, cool thing to watch the Cubs win game seven. And it was fa- freaking fantastic. What are you seeing over there? Proceeded to the 10th inning. Okay. 17-minute rain delay. Yeah. And actually, oh, that's right. Yeah. And yes. It's awesome. That's, what, that's my answer. Okay. That was good. You know, um, that's the only one I'm going to go with. I'm good on that one. Next question. Okay. Next one is, where does Derek White's, well, now it's not as big because they lost, but where does his oh, shot rank? Oh, that's true. Do you know how much of a hero he would have been had they won the title this year? Yeah. I didn't think about that. He also lost out on a lot. Not just the series, but if they'd won the title, that putback would have made him like Boston royalty. Yeah, like the Larry Bird stealing the ball and giving it to Havlicek, I believe. That, yeah, I, I know the play. I don't know who he gave it to. You're right, I don't know either. I don't know if it was Havlicek. I don't think it was. I don't I think, think, I, I don't think, it, I think Havlicek's black and white time, but yeah. I don't want to say it because you're a Boston fan. <laughs> no, I, feel I think Havlicek's like Wizard of Oz, first part of Wizard of Oz when it's black and white. <laughs> Can we cut this out? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, so the question is, game-winning shots. The Kawhi shot... Like seven sixers, that that was the like Eastern Conference Finals. The, from the corner, like the top, like almost the corner. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy shot. I, and I remember just watching the people in Toronto who are watching it on that screen outside of the arena. It just erupting. That was a pretty good last second shot. I mean, you can go Michael Jordan, Game Six versus the Jazz. Which, by the way, I was in Utah and we went by the the arena there. My friend who's one of the coaches of the Utah softball team he was like that's that there it is the arena Jordan got sick flu game oh really oh this yeah. past weekend mm-hmm. yeah 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 so that was that was one too so I'll put I still put Kawhi that there's just it, I mean the poster of that shot wasn't even him shooting it was him on the ground yeah, he's like squatting he's like down yeah, yeah. it's crazy all right next one this is it we've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Referee Eric Lewis of the NBA is under investigation for potentially having a burner account on Twitter. So I want to know what's your opinion on burner accounts. Have you ever had one? Well, this story is not as controversial as you'd think it would be. Referees are not allowed to be on social media as themselves, obviously. There are some rules against it. He's not giving away secrets. He literally was defending himself and defending other referees and posting stats to go, you're an idiot. This is what's really happening. If he's breaking the rule, he's breaking the rule, and he should be punished or fined or whatever the rule is. However, it's not like he's letting people know any sort of secret or tipping games or being affected that's affecting his job as a referee. I didn't see any of that. Did you? No, no, okay. it was all, yeah, no. Just, now, the difference is, I think Colangelo, when he was running the 76ers and he was talking crap about the team, and he's talking about crap about Embiid, and he's talking about, he, from Twitter, from burner accounts, like, he's the general manager talking crap about players. That's different. So, me having a burner account? Yes, but I can never remember the logins. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I can never remember the logins, and I've set up a couple... And I'm so afraid of Kevin Durant and myself where he thinks he's on a burner account and he's not and he's on his own mm. and he's like, oh, crap. And then you, by the time you delete it, someone's already screenshotted it. So n- not a big burner account guy. I would like to be. Would like, would love it. Would love to just be firing shots at people. I just, 
I'm so in my head about posting and it's under my name and not my burner account's name. So no, I don't do it. I would like to do more of it. I'm interested in growing in that part of my life, but I'm not that. Now. <laughs> Learning more. All right, go ahead. All right, last one. We saw a major comeback with Boston being down 0-3, forcing a game seven. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome professionally? Ooh, good question. Probably the million-dollar fine by the FCC. The FCC won't let me be, so let me be me. I'm the pity. Uh, that's a tough one. No, that's not going to be the toughest. I didn't get suspended for that one. That was one where we kept doing the show and we were just waiting for the fine. Then when the fine came down to a million bucks, I just kind of looked at my email. Okay, I'm still doing the show. I'll just keep going. Uh, probably when Lunchbox went and robbed the store. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't rob the store. I sent him to, to buy some gum with pantyhose on his head. It's a stupid bit. I'm not acting like it was a good bit. <laughs> we were like 14th place too, by the way. And he goes and he does the thing and they held him at gunpoint. They put him in jail. They tried to arrest me. Then they were like, well, we can't really arrest you. You didn't do anything. And I'm like, I know. Then they suspend all of us for like two and a half weeks. I think I'm done. I'm an idiot kid who, I was 23 probably. I was like in magazines, like Hot Shot, like Phenom, Radio Personality, does all, boom, suspended. I was like, man. Nobody gives a crap about that phenom stuff. Well, if I'm fired, I may never be in this. Came back on the air, apologized, went to number one, never looked back for 10 years. Like, it was it, that was hard for that two and a half weeks, really hard mm -hmm. to get back. So that was a really hard one to kind of get my feet back underneath me and feel confident and secure in my job. But man, once we had number one, it was on. We'd never look back. And the other thing was probably not knowing how to dance on Dancing with the Stars. Having no clue at all, ever, ever, even till the end. So overcome, it was week to week overcoming how this week I was going to find a way to win just this week. And not win to be the best, but just survive. Yeah. Just survive. Just keep surviving. Just keep surviving. Just keep surviving. And then, all right, we made it to the finals. Let's freaking go. So that, that was a tough one, too. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry your team lost, man. <laughs> Gosh, I almost forgot for a second. I'm there. sorry your team <laughs> lost. Hey, let me say this, by the way. So these go up on the Bobby Bone Show page as well. This will be the last time we put it up on the Bobby Bone Show page for a while, I do believe. So, go follow us on the 25 Whistles feed. We do put most of them. We have put most of them up and a lot of our listening is to people who want to hear this and so they wait for it to pop up on the Bobby Bone Show page. If you're on that feed, go subscribe to 25 Whistles because if we do them, when we do them, they will not pop up on this feed, at least not for a while, for months probably. So, go check it out. 25 Whistles, follow on that feed. Thank you very much. That's the tittle tattle. Right, interview time, two-time Super Bowl champion, Logan Ryan. He came to the studio, got to sit down in person, talk about his life and his career, going from a three-star to a four-star recruit. What a freaking story. Yep. Wow. Your life changes like that, and you really didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. He was like, just like that. Playing quarterback in high school, but only getting recruited as an athlete, picking off Tom Brady's final pass as a patriot. Just it's great. Listen to it. I don't want to waste your time, so we'll get to it. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan Ryan. Here he is. Logan Ryan. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it 
and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Logan, where do you live? Like what town? I live in currently in Tampa, Florida. So wh- what's up in Nashville? Like we're lucky to have, first of all, super pumped you're here. Yeah. But wh- like what's here? You're here. Yeah, that, that's true. I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was hosting Good Morning Football last week and had a lot of fun doing that and uh, got some good good feedback. And my publicist was kind of working the phones a little bit and um, opportunity to come on your podcast, which was awesome. And I used to live here. So I lived here for three, four years. My content guy's out here. Um, I got a lot of friends on the Titans. So I'm here knocking out some media. I did uh, hosted with Jonathan Hutton last uh, yesterday on Outkick. So I'm doing some more media while my name is hot. And hanging out with you. Is that the goal? Because I know you probably want to, you're a free agent. Yeah. Are you waiting for the call or are you like, screw the call? I'm getting, I'm, I'm doing media because it's awesome. <laughs> um, either or, you know, I'm still training six days a week, mm. but I'm taking advantage of the opportunities. And I've always, you know, when I was a Tennessee Titans, I hosted a Logan Ryan show where I hosted a radio show for two, three years. I hosted a show in New York, hosted the NFL player podcast. I've always been like the, the speech before the locker room guy. Um, were you always that guy in high school too? Yeah, I was a quarterback growing up. Like my, my and uh, growing up my whole life, I was a point guard. I was a quarterback. I was a pitcher. So I always had the ball in my hands. I was always the guy to inspire. Um, I know, you know how a lot of guys say, "Oh, you know, I kind of lead by my actions." Not I like I do both. Yeah, I felt that. Yeah, I lead by my words. When, too. At what age did you start to be? Because uh, let's see, like in ninth grade, I'm not the athlete you are. I'm not comparing that, but I'm just right. going to tell you my story. In ninth grade, I got to move up and play with the senior high team, 10th, 11th, 12th graders. But I didn't say anything because I'm the freaking ninth grader and I didn't play as a ninth grader. Yeah. When did you start playing and when could you actually be a vocal leader in high school? Because I'm imagining that you were far more athletic than the other kids your age. Yeah. So when I got to high school, I started varsity basketball as a freshman, but I was on the freshman football team. So... Uh, I led my little, you know, freshman teammates on the freshman games, but I wasn't on varsity. And in basketball, I kind of was the point guard. But I mean, these kids, my brother was four years older than me. My brother was a senior and I was a freshman and I was playing with his friends and I felt really little compared to them. Like I was like, I didn't have a voice. I just ran the plays. You were playing as like a 14 year old, 14, yeah. 15 years old with 18 year olds. Yeah. That's it. Were you, were you as good as some of them? I was definitely good enough to be on the court. For sure, I wasn't. I wasn't the best player at fourteen on our team. Yeah, I knew that. But by, you know, my sophomore, junior year, yeah, definitely. So I kind of grew into it. I, I would say, once that ball got in my hands and I realized what we needed to win, then I wasn't afraid to step up and and, and demand that because I always wanted you know to win more than anything else. I was watching the Redeem team on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's about. Uh, it's been out for about a year, but it, you know the U.S. Olympic basketball team got a bronze and they were embarrassed and they had to somehow get a new coach, get the players to commit yeah. in. Cause that, that, to a lot of those guys, I would get that being 22 and rich and you just got, and now they want you to go train for months. And I would get why some of them wouldn't want to do that. I watched it. I loved it. Oh, wasn't it awesome? Yeah, man. I got a Kobe tattoo on me. They had to bring Kobe in that, you know, they had to bring Kobe in it to really win that. And, and, I, it, and that was my point about leadership and I always understood and respected Kobe because in my mind, he's probably the third greatest player of all time. Top three for sure. And the fact that the guys were like, we were in Vegas. We went to the club. We did what we put. And Kobe's there, gloves on, going to the gym when they're coming in. 4 a.m. And all those guys slowly started to do what yeah. Kobe was doing because he was doing it and he was that leader. 
Yeah. So you say you were vocal and by example, were you like first one in, last one out type guy? Yeah, I kind of picked up that because I was never, I was always like one of the best athletes, but there was always like a more physical freak on the team. Like I wasn't like raw out of bed better than everybody. I was like more skilled because I worked on it. And I remember my mom would pick me up in high school every day after work. My mom worked at nine to five, nine to four thirty, and she would pick me up at like five o'clock, five p.m. And we would get out of high school at like two, two thirty. So in football season, I obviously had practice and my mom would pick me up. But out of football or basketball season, the spring, I had two and a half hours to kill. You know, I wasn't taking the bus home. So I was just literally every day, Monday through Friday, in the weight room, five days a week, lifting for an hour or two, going out to the field, doing just drills that I made up. And then eventually more people came out there and I would put a ladder drills down to a drill to drills. And I was like pretty Were much- you the, running the drills? To, yeah, so time. I was pretty much coming up with <laughs> drills that I would see on- I mean, shoot, I don't even know if YouTube was out back then, but whatever. I was I was just finding drills and doing them and doing this. And, and that was kind of leadership, right? Like I'm doing these, these off-season workouts, but I just was like waiting for my mom to pick me up. Did you have a good relationship with the coaches? Because it sounds like you love the game, games. We can say games. And you also weren't afraid to put work in. Were you the guy that they would lean on high school and college to go, all right, you got to be the voice to those guys, be my voice to them? Right. Yeah, I think so, especially playing the quarterback position and stuff. I just think there's certain positions in sports where you expect a leader there, and I kind of was that. So I think it happened naturally mainly because of the position I played. But I do remember, like, my junior, sophomore, junior year when I kind of was stepping in the role as varsity quarterback and stuff, um, I was not great at pregame speeches. Like, I didn't want to talk. In, I felt like a senior should talk, you know, before the game. Like, I was silent, and I would always get really nervous before a game. Still do. Like, I always get, like, a little bit nervous and tense. And I just was really, really quiet. And I feel like that developed more in the NFL and college of having the, you know, taking public speaking classes and whatnot, just having the confidence to go up in front of a room of 100 people and motivate them without feeling like, you know, a clown or say something dumb or mess it up, you know, or be laughed at. And I just think that came in older, like giving actual the speech. Um, But actually just on the field, yeah, when I'm playing in between the lines, yeah, the leadership always came out. Were you super educated on what was happening every game, put the time in the film room always. Was that a priority or did you have to learn how to do that later? I learned how to, I learned how to do that later, but growing up, my dad coached me when I was little, uh, maybe up till, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And every year, like I said, I played, I played offense and I played defense. So I didn't come off the field. And I swear every year he cha- made me change positions. He's like, all right, well, last year a receiver, this year you're going to play running back. Oh, to learn? Yeah, and then this year you're going to do this. And then we had a really good team in like eighth grade. And we went, uns- in Little League, we went like unscored upon. Like we beat everybody 35 to nothing and didn't give up a point the entire season. And on that team, we had like three NFL players and like six Division One wrestlers out of like 11 starters. Like nine of us went to college for sports. So it was a really good team. But- in the second half, my dad would make all the skill players play O-line and give the O-lineman the ball <laughs> so that, they, you know, we would block for them, yeah. you know? And I just felt like, why are we doing this, you know? But, I, like, I love my O-lineman. You know, I always treat them well, and I understood what it was like to block. I played tight end. I played receiver. I played running back. I played quarterback. I played corner. I played safety. And really, in the NFL, really helped my versatility because I learned the game from so many different angles. And even when I played defense in the NFL— I think from like a reverse quarterback perspective, like, okay, what is he reading? He's probably going to throw this because I'm showing him that. It's like you're reverse engineering. 
Yeah. What exactly you think is about to happen? Yeah. Dang. So when you were in high school, you played quarterback. Did you were you recruited as a quarterback? So that was back before they wanted like, you know, six foot black quarterbacks running around the NFL. Like that's not the this is the norm now. Did you like, feel like because you were a six foot black quarterback that was actually held against you? Well, they're going to recruit you as an athlete. So what happens is they're like everybody like like I would say half of you know, college football players probably played quarterback when they were growing up because they're the best player and they want the ball in their hands. But back then they would say, you're going to be a receiver or you're going to be a corner or you're going to be a safety. So I knew like looking ahead, like, yeah, I'm probably going to end up being a corner. And I played corner as well. And I was ranked pretty high in New Jersey for it. So I kind of knew already what it was, but they did. You just didn't have the opportunities division one to be like, oh, you're five eleven and a half, and you know, you're a great athlete. We're going to make you play a different position. Like quarterback is for these type of guys, six foot four, white, 225 pound guy, you know, but now the NFL, as you see, has caught up and I mean, Bryce Young. Yeah. Bryce Young not, is five nine. Kyler Murray's five nine. No, these dudes, I, I remember hosting the draft in Nashville when they had the draft in Nashville a couple of years ago and I was actually working in media and I was on the red carpet hosting these guys. And I'm like, Quinn and Williams hmm. just lift the mic up and DJ uh, DK Metcalf lift the mic way up and like Kyler Murray put the mic like <laughs> I'm like this guy is little I mean little hands little arms yeah but he's special in his skill set and he had the opportunity they never made him switch positions but a lot of a lot of us they they're like yeah I don't know if you're gonna go division one and play what what were you, what star were you recruit I was a four star recruit and what is life like as a four star recruit uh, it's got to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it's I got to be good. So I was really a three star coming out and uh, for most of it. And then I think the ranking guy, rivals ranking guy, comes to check out one of my games my senior year. And I was already committed to Rutgers. So I like had 25 scholarships. As an athlete or safety or what? At the time, were you going to Rutgers to do what though? I was going to Rutgers to play corner. Okay. I was the number one corner in the state of New Jersey. And I was like one of the better quarterbacks, but I was the number one at that position. Got it. And. I was a three-star, committed to Rutgers verbally and all that stuff. And then we play we, we play the opening game, and he comes to see our gameplay. And I get a pick six, like, on the first possession of the game. And literally, reverse engineering, the coach told me, if you see the quarterback roll out, you know, it's going to be a, a hitch, a route in front of you and a route behind you. Just bait the route behind you. And every time they roll out, they run the same play. So the first play of the game, I see the rollout. I see the route behind me. I act like I'm going to go get the route behind me, and I just bait him. He throws a route in front of me, 80-yard pick six to start my senior year. And that night, I got a four-star. Boom, he just pops Bing, up. Boom, like <laughs> next day, right? Bing, four-star. So what happens? Notre Dame calls me. Miami calls me. Penn State calls From me. From that one bing, yeah, that one that star, star coming up. Like, oh, now he's this level recruit. And they're like, oh, you don't want to go to Rutgers. Come here, come there, come there. It's crazy that it wasn't some tape, that it wasn't like a library of tape on you that changed their Uh, mind. It was literally a recruiting service. One guy who saw one game. Wild. And new colleges come. It's lazy. Recruiting's lazy. What happens is a lot of states, out-of-state teams, like Alabama's not going to come to New Jersey unless, one, you're offered by your New Jersey school. So they're going to let Rutgers do the work. Once Rutgers does the work, all the other Big East schools at the time, right? It was West Virginia. It was whatever. So like, okay, this guy, obviously Rutgers identified him. So now your conference is going to start recruiting you and they start offering you. And then once your whole conference offers you and then you get that fourth star, then you become a national recruit. Now coaches are jetting to your field, your high school and landing on the thing and trying to, and that's why you see guys flip recruitment. So, I mean, now they're getting paid, but they flip recruitment so much because one thing changed. Who came that was cool? 
Uh, I would say Greg Schiano, when Rutgers recruited me, they put out all the, the, the stops. He landed a helicopter on a local hospital. And, and so he flew a helicopter in to see me. Um, I think uh, Iowa was super dope. Michigan State was cool. Uh, but Rutgers, I mean, they sent people to my, my, my grandmother's funeral. My grandmother passed away. They had people at the funeral. They were they had a Bible in front of my mom. They they went a whole different angle at my dad. I mean, they were they were pulling every stop like to 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 get me to stay. I feel like if I was on a jury or if I was being recruited, I just flip every, all the time. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, that's great, I'm here. Yeah, oh, that's great, guilty. Oh no, not guilty. Michigan State. I feel like I would be doing that like crazy. Because I'm sure everybody's giving you their best effort. They're showing yeah, you that, yeah, like, you know, Chris Rock talks about dating somebody new and he's like, you know, you ain't really meet me, you meet my representative. When you, you know, it's the early version, but it's the best version of the school in every way. Like, aren't they all just awesome when you do that? They, they like really recruit your parents. I came from a two, two parent background, super solid. My dad was a cop, was a cop. My mom worked, like I said, a nine to five. So they really had my parents on lock. But looking back at it, I'm like, man, I should have took that official visit to Hawaii. That's a great flight, great trip. Should have went out there. Maybe I should check out UNLV. That would have been a fun little like, Vegas trip. What do you trip. do on on a on an official visit? Like you land, yeah. Just a brief description. I have no idea. You land, then what what happens? Who's who's there? What what's the day like? So you land. Um, you'll be red carpeted, black car picked up. Go to the school. Um, all the coaches will be there. Excited balloons, catered food, and then New York. Uh, Rutgers' whole pitch was. We're going to send you to New York. So you take the train in New York. They rent it out like a Dave and Buster's in like Times Square. So you're in Times Square. You're at like, got to rent it out Dave and Buster's. You're playing games. They're talking like, yeah, you're going to like, we have these McCordy twins and they're all right, but you're going to come in and, <laughs> and you're going to play over them and, and like all this. But I knew they were on their way out and I was going to fill in the next shoes, but they're like, yeah, they're okay. But Jason McCordy, this guy, I mean, he can't even get an interception. You, look at me. You had six interceptions last year. We need you. Right. So they tell you what you want to hear. And then we got back on the train to Rutgers and the coaches leave and then you're paired with a player. So I didn't have the McCordy twins. I had, a, I had a kid that was actually on my little league team that I told you about that we like went undefeated or whatever. So I knew him since we were kids. So he kind of hosted me and that's your host. And they Which gave you- probably why they gave you him, right? Right, because yeah. we knew each other. Yeah. So, so, then, so then I got one of my best friends already there and he's like, whatever. And then they gave your host like a hundred bucks and he's supposed to take you to a party and take you- and he was like, look, man, I'm keeping 50 of these bucks. Like, you got 50, you know? So, And then, you know, they try to show you girls and try to give you a good night. And then, but the, the worst part is when you're, um, when you're a host, you have practice the next day. I'm like, I'm not partying with this freaking 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid all night. And I got to wake up at 7 a.m. and run sprints. Like, I kept that 100 bucks. Well, I, I bet I, some people do, though. I bet they go hard and then go to, I mean, it's just so. Oh, yeah. When you're younger, you can do it. Yeah. So you, what this, when you get to Rutgers, is the speed of the game so much different going high school to college or college to the pros? When does it adjust so much that you're like, okay, hold on, let me get yeah. this straight. I think the speed of the game, cause everyone comes from different high school. You come from some country school where, I mean, you got, you know, eight on eight football, whatever in the middle of Nevada or something. But I think the speed of the game is a bigger difference. I think the coaching was a bigger difference for me cause Greg Shiano was such a tough coach for me and I wasn't used to getting yelled at or just like negativity showing my way or, or getting cussed at. Like I wasn't used to, I'm like, Whoa, this is kind of hard environment for me to thrive in. So I think that was the biggest shock for me. Um, the speed and just the, the, the coaching. Cause as soon as you commit and day one practice starts, all that recruiting's out the window. Like military. Like, like now like, I own yeah, you. And it really yeah. felt like military. I feel like we went to a, like a military Academy. It was that strict and disciplined at Rutgers with him. And, um, 
you know, but then I went to the NFL. I came from that academy mindset. So like the discipline was there. No one could do anything that I haven't done already. Like I've been through tougher workouts. So now, now it's all about execution and just skill. Like we need you here. It's your job to do it. And you just way more, it's way more efficient. The first time you go to a college practice and it's actually full pads, what does that feel like? Oh my God. I have so many stories, man. The first college practice, so so practice is is based on what they call periods, and they blow the whistle, and a period is five minutes. So a practice could be, I don't want to say and get butchered on math, but a practice can be 20 periods, you do the math, or 15 periods, or 12, or 24, whatever, two-hour practice, whatever. Our first practice was 36 periods. It was like over three hours. <laughs> It was in the middle of July in New Jersey. It was really hot and humid on the field. I had brand new cleats on. I was getting blisters. They made everyone tape your ankles. Mandatory have to tape. I never taped my ankles before, so my ankles were stiff. My cleats hurt. And then Shiano had a rule. You weren't allowed to take your helmet off at any point in the practice. So I couldn't even take my helmet off to get water. So I had to like get water through my helmet. And I just was so just equipment uncomfortable, not used to practicing that long. It just was all like all the little things, I guess, that you're just supposed to ignore. Now, like I don't even bother me now. They all bothered me so much. Like at first, it was a huge adjustment. for When me. you're 18, you're hitting 22, 23 year old dudes. I assume that's physically a lot more taxing on you than 17 hitting 18, you know, high school. Like it's, it's, it's young. It's an older kid versus men. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's a big jump. It's hard. If you see guys that come to college, true freshmen, and dominate, like that, that's tough because of the physical aspect. Like these guys in college, you're lifting and running your your butt off. Like you are working. They're where you had nothing else to do. They're owning you. They they work you. So I, I came in 175 pounds. I redshirted, so I was the number one corner in the state, a four star going to Rutgers. That wasn't the greatest school in that recruited me. So I'm supposed to come in and be a savior type of thing, replace the McCordy twins, and I redshirted. Like I got crushed by all expectation pressure and I came in 175 pounds and I was 195 pounds in less than a year. I put on 20 pounds of muscle. I couldn't even dunk a basketball anymore because you had put on so much, so much weight. I wasn't even used to carrying that weight. I'm 194 pounds at 32 years old. So in the last whatever, 14, 15 years, I didn't gain one pound, (laughs) right? I just, but I put on 20 pounds in one year of muscle. I'm squatting 450 pounds. I'm power cleaning over 300 pounds. And that's what they want. Oh, they were lifting. Yeah. yeah. And are your feelings hurt that you have to redshirt? When do they tell you that? Or is that something that, that happens game three when you haven't played at all? So I kind of like, I had like a, a little back injury and just had a rough start to it. And it kind of was like, hey, you're either going to like play special teams this year or we can redshirt you. So I was like, yeah, I'm a, like, I'm not going to waste a year Maybe just playing yeah. special teams. So I, I redshirted, but he, Chiano used to redshirt like the entire classes because he wanted older teams. So I think out of our true freshman class, we had 25 commits, 25 guys on full rides, not counting walk-ons. I would say he probably played four or five guys, 20 of us redshirted. He just wanted to backload the whole roster like that, right? So now a senior class, our fifth-year seniors, that are 22, 23 years old. So that just was like, if you weren't super phenomenal right away, he was, he was you're going to redshirt. What year did you leave college? So I actually left as a redshirt junior, so I left early. I got it together. And I took off, so I left. So you redshirt year, then then your two years. I redshirted, had a redshirt freshman, sophomore. Then I left after. I almost left after a redshirt sophomore year, but I left after my redshirt junior. Got year. it. So it was my fourth year. So you go and you. I I was reading some of your 
because it still exists. The draft stuff are like, <laughs> this is his peak. This is what we think yeah. his ceiling is. This yeah. is who we can. Did you read that stuff back then too? I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know what they wrote about me, but I could probably could tell you what it was. But um, yeah. So I mean, they, so they would. They do compare a certain player. Compare. They're like at his ceiling, not quite Palomalu, but you know, and they're doing. Yeah, yeah, so crazy. who did they compare you to in college? Just when you would talk to folks, and they'd be like, "Oh, we could to kind of see you being this type of player in the NFL." So I don't know if there was an exact like ceiling comp that I knew in the NFL at the moment. Um, but my biggest thing is like I was super smart and and tough and productive. Like I had some of the most productive stats. Like I was second in Big East history in pass breakups ahead of Devin McCourty behind Darrell Revis by like a couple. And do you I, think that's because of your athletic ability or because you – your instincts, instincts and studying was so good. A hundred percent instincts and studying. Once I figured out the game, I would say half the time now in the NFL, I play plays over players. Like I don't care. Like Julio is one of my good friends. I had to cover Julio in the Super Bowl. I don't care. It's Julio. Julio only runs like can only run ten routes. And once I figure out what they are, it can only be three. So I'm gonna play these three routes, right, based on situation and all that. So I'm playing the plays. So at the end of the day, the quarterback's got to throw it to a spot. If I can figure out that spot before you figure out this, or you know, because I don't know where you're going, I got to do some math. So I always say I'm just playing high, high stakes blackjack out there. Being such a cerebral guy, because again, that's the story on you too, is that you were able to almost predict chess moves before the chess move happened. Yeah. You ever think about coaching? Yeah, you know, I get asked that a lot because I, I definitely have I have a memory where I almost remember every game I play in, um, and the plays, and then I I I think I do a decent job of explaining it to the everyday person. So that's that's why media is good and coaching. I just don't like how many hours these coaches work. Like I, it's very hard for a coach to have a balance with any family life. Like they're home at midnight all year round. I mean, it's 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 a crazy profession that doesn't have any balance, work life balance. So right now, not attractive to you. Would you go coach college or NFL if you had to? I would coach NFL over college because I don't want to recruit. You're on the road yeah. and you're off time at a 17-year-old's high school telling him he's going to be better than Devin McCourty. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't feel like doing that. I'm too real with kids. I'm like, look, you're not good, but we'll take you. We'll probably make you good, but you're not, you know, you got to earn everything here. You're deciding to go and you're going to leave Rutgers. You're going to go to the NFL and they kind of have you pegged as a, you know, late second, third round pick. And do you kind of have an idea of what team will take you in that race? Is it like four or five teams or does everybody just act like they like you until they got to make that decision? Yeah. So I leave, I leave Rutgers. I get a second, they give you a draft grade. If you want to like leave early, they gave me a second round draft grade. So it's all going to be dependent like on my combine, but I wasn't a combine freak. Who gave you that grade by the way? I don't like, know. Where do you get the official I don't know. Grade? You submit it to some dudes who are sitting in a room and say, you go in the second <laughs> round. But I think they have to protect you because they want to keep kids in school. Right. So they give you a lower grade because they don't want kids coming out, right? They don't want to say, you're going to go in the first round if you come out and then you slide in the sixth round. Now you're really pissed. So they gave me a second round grade based on production. That's like, at worst, I'm going in the second round. That's that's good money. So Rutgers is like, no, don't go. You'll be a first rounder next year. I'm like, I'm going. I go to the second round. Uh, or I, I start training. And I'm like one of those athletes that like, I play, I can play baseball. I can play ping pong. Like I can play pickleball. Like I can fish. I can play basketball. I'm like an all around, like a ball athlete, I guess. Bowl. I can bowl over 200, whatever. <laughs> There's guys that could literally not swing a baseball bat, but they can jump 44 inches and stuff. I'm not like that. So I had very mediocre numbers at the combine. And obviously I was a junior, so I didn't have the senior bowl or all that stuff to have more opportunity to be seen. So I kind of was like, oh, this guy just kept, every time I look, I just slipped. 
someone did something at something that I wasn't even at and I slipped. You weren't doing anything to, to slip. No, just just because you weren't able to do certain things. Yeah. You leave as a junior. There is no senior bowl. Dang. There is no. That, so, right. So yeah. I'm OK. I'm a junior. All I have is the NFL combine. As soon as I ran a four five, it was like, oh, this guy ran a who this guy out of nowhere who has no numbers ran a four three. Let's because they're kind of sell a story at the combine too, right? They want the biggest athletic freaks there. So I kind of slipped. I went to the third round. New England, New England came to Rutgers, and Rutgers had a lot of guys at the time coming out. And Bill Belichick, and this is actually a fun, another I got all these Belichick stories that just keep coming out. So when you're in college, there's local pro days. So in New Jersey, right, like the Jets and the Giants can work out the local guys on their own day. And guys from all those colleges in New Jersey can go do a local pro day for the Jets and the Giants. So Bill Belichick decides that he wants to come do a visit with me on the day of the Jets local pro day. So I'm not going to work out for the Jets. The Patriots are coming to work me out privately. And I think only two or three teams work me out privately. Not only did he invite purposeful, right? right. I mean, not only did he invite me, yeah. he invited about 16 Rutgers players. So everybody, I mean, I think we had seven guys get drafted that year. We led the draft with players. Uh, me, Deron Harmon, uh, Steve Baharnis, uh, everybody that we had coming out. We had like eight guys on defense, eight guys on offense. So it was like a pretty much a Patriot pro day, the day that was supposed to be the Jets pro day. So Rex Ryan and Jets were pissed because none of the Rutgers players went to their pro day. They had like Monmouth players go. <laughs> And it was like, well, Bill came in and said to do this. So I remember I did the thing with, with Bill, but I called Devin because Devin's one of my good friends and he was on the Patriots already and was their captain. So I said, I need all your drills. Give me all your warm up drills. Give me all your DB drills. What do you guys do in a workout? So Devin sent me all their drills and I've been practicing with the guys for a week because we knew what day this was coming. So our entire secondary was practicing these drills for a week. So when they come in, we crush the workout. Then we go to the film room, and I'm like, oh, this is what I do. I'm telling them what the nose guard does. I'm telling them what all 11 players do on every defense. So I knew I impressed Bill, and then he ends up drafting me in the third round, Deron Harmon, who was our free safety in the third round as well. So we drafted four guys on Rutgers defense alone in that draft. But I had the drills from Devin a week prior, and we were practicing for this workout. What's it like as a rookie going into the locker room of the NFL where you got 35-year-old men there as well? Crazy. Uh, it was, again, that's another adjustment again. And I just think you got to earn them with your play and just being a good rookie. I was singing songs. I was telling jokes. I remember I was playing really well in the preseason. I actually had a pick six against the Bucks, who Shiano wants to be that coach. So I kind of got Shiano back with a pick six in the preseason. Got him back, and because um, he didn't draft me in the second round, so my old coach did passing on me. Dang, that had to hurt a little yeah, bit, though. So, like I taking that personal. Yeah, it was a little personal at the time. So I was like, okay, don't draft me. That's fine. See what I do. So I uh, he actually drafted another corner as well. So I end up doing that. So I'm playing well. So I'm like kind of playing with the starters, like when the season's about to start, like kind of like in there. Very different than the start of my college career. And I remember Akeem Talib was like. And I think I, there's no more intimidating veteran you can have than Aqib Talib as a rookie. And Aqib was like, yo, the rookie, you got to get this chicken wings before we go on away games on the flight. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting no chicken wings. I'm like one of the starters. Like, get the other rookies to do it. And he was like, he looked at me, he's like, you're getting those chicken wings. And I just was like, I'm getting those chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting chicken wings before every road game. I had to go to Skip Jack's across the street, a Patriot place, and get like... 300 chicken wings and in, in a suit and bring buffalo wings in a suit uh and not get any sauce on me 
and get pictured in the plane. So every like pregame picture of me in the plane, I had like big old bag of chicken wings <laughs> for the entire secondary or whatever. And I did that for I did that for an entire year. And I and I ended up starting most of that year, leading the team, leading the AFC. And inter- I had five interceptions as a rookie. You're still getting wings, even though you got five. <laughs> started yeah, AFC championship, starting AFC championship. Had more picks than Tlaib that year. And uh, yeah, I was getting chicken wings up to the AFC Championship. And I remember we were flying to the AFC Championship and Bill was like, let the players sit first class. And some other organizations, when you fly, the coaches sit first class and the players sit in the back and that pisses the players off. But Bill's like, nah, the players, they run the show like they're in the first class. But there's only so many seats. So he doesn't do it on seniority. He does it on who's playing. So I remember I was, I got like a first class seat. I'm like, yeah, like, okay, I made it. And they had some guys that are ten year vets in economy pissed. But I'm like, hey, like I'm playing better. Bill rewards who's playing better. Who gets respect? Somebody who plays well or somebody who's got a big deal? Who I always say play well because even when I I signed some big deals, I signed two thirty million dollar contracts in my career, and uh, I just I always felt like I gotta show to the guys like I'm worth it because nothing's worse than a guy who gets paid and doesn't work, and you're like, this is the guy we're paying, like. You're it. Do you see that in locker rooms? Oh, yeah. That's a lot of teams' issues. They play guys. They don't know their character. The money changes the guys. And now you have a big issue because not only is your paid player supposed to be your best player and hopefully your hardest worker like Tom Brady is and these guys are, he's your least hardest worker, and he's not even playing up to his own potential. So that really hurts your team. So you got to pay. You got to make sure that you reward the right guys. I'm a big booster. I do NILs with players, a uh, big Arkansas guy. And I, I think one of the things that I've – been able to observe is that some of these guys grew up like I did, no money, broke. But yeah. th- this is their first time to get some money in college, and it actually prepares them for when they get more money in the NFL. So it's not just straight culture shot going from nothing to everything. I feel like that's a real positive of the NIL is there's an adjustment period before you hit it real big. Your thoughts on that? I love that. I love that NIL. Uh, it's. I mean, I just like that the players are getting a piece of the pie. And I know it's kind of crazy to regulate, and I know a lot of players are making a lot of money at a young age. But I think what it also does, I think it can expose the family that's been waiting to do it anyway. So you might, you know, when you got a million dollars at 21, you got some uncles that have been waiting in the weeds, you know, that now if you don't give them some, now, they, now they're mad at you. So maybe it exposes a little the family dynamic or the support dynamic a little earlier. So these kids be like, oh, okay, I really see who's got my back and not, you know? So I think a lot of guys' stresses is dealing with family and how to handle, like, you can't help everybody and where, 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 who do you owe what to and what your aunt's struggling. So you got to pay for her and so-and-so had a hospital bill. You got to pay for that. And your mom needs this and your dad needs that. And your, oh, but your brother's always been there with you. So he needs this. And then eventually it's like, you tell them no one time, and then they get mad at you. You know, so you definitely need to work on that dynamic. Do uh, they work with you guys on money when you go in? Like, because no. I know in the NBA they do these these class. Do they? Yeah, we have a we have a uh, we have like a rookie symposium, but, but nobody you really know. Pays but it's just it's generic. You know, it's not like a a class. It's a it's a one day you know four hour presentation. You watch the documentary about going broke, which was that that 30 for 30, mm-hmm. which was crazy. And see Antoine Jameson and them buying apartment complexes and Jamarcus Russell, like buying an entire plane, every seat, you know, I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't do that. But I don't know if that teaches you actually like what taxes are and like how to percentages. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think guys like every draft pick is buying their mom a house and somebody a car the first day. And it's like, dude, you're making like maybe $800,000 this year after taxes. That's like. 500 
Now you bought a car and a house. Like, how are you even going to pay for your own rent? Like, there's not enough money to do that in day one. Which I, you know, for NILs again, I think it's great when somebody make a few hundred thousand bucks because then when they make a million, they know half of where it's going anyway. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So when it, you get to the NFL and you're playing with the Patriots and you're playing well, I mean, you got the greatest player of all time, Tom Brady, there. I mean, does he just walk around and everybody just it's instant respect, or is he one of the guys? He's he's one of the guys as much as he could be. Now, he's just he's different. He was older than you know older than a lot of us and all that stuff. But he is the most, one of the most, like, humble people for his star power. Like, like, does he try to be involved with folks? Yeah, he's very authentic. He's very genuine. He's very engaging. Engaging. I think his EQ is what got him so many Super Bowls. He really knows how to, how to, how to tap in with his teammates and get the best out of his teammates. Like, sometimes you hear how Kobe didn't always rub right with his teammates, or Jordan didn't always rub right with his teammates, or whatever. I think Tom has that same competitive passion and he knows when to do that, but he also knows when to love up on his teammates and maybe a little more LeBron-esque. I don't know, but I think that like Tom has mastered, I think that's the difference with him and a lot of these other quarterbacks. That's why he has seven and these other guys have one or two is how much like, I'll tell quickly like this story I've told a couple of times, my first time ever meeting him. So I get drafted by the Patriots. I'm walking in the hall. I kind of like see him like down the hall. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to run into this guy. Like, do I call him Tom, Thomas, Mr. Brady? Like I had this guy's Jersey growing up. Right. So I'm like, <clears throat> like clearing my throat. And as I walk up to him outside of normal conversation range, like, you know, you have like maybe a second to get ready for this conversation. He's like, Oh, Hey, uh, you're Logan, right? We draft you in the third round out of Rutgers. And he's like, man, look, uh, I'm Tom the quarterback here. Like if you need anything, my lockers are here. I'm always here early anything you need, like just come to me and I'll, I'll do the best I can. He's like, trust me, I was a rookie. It's hard. Just put your head down and keep working. And I just thought that was so cool. Not only did he take the awkward interaction out of me, but he made me feel, he knew who I was. He knew where I, what school I came from. He made me feel important. And he said I, he was an open book for me. And when you're just the third round rookie out of Rutgers, who's probably the 53rd best player on the team, I was like, dang, that, that that's really cool. And I was like, yo, I want to be like that veteran one day. I might not be Tom Brady, but I want to be that guy that's not hazing and not like making it so hard. We need these guys. And I think Tom knows that he's going to need every one of his teammates. We only got a few minutes left here with you, but I, a couple questions. What if you said, hey, Tom, will you sign this? <laughs> what, that football? Anything. It could be anything. You're like, Tom, hey, thanks, man. Will you sign? Like, is that allowed in the locker room? Yeah, I got him. You didn't see? I got him to sign his last. I picked off his last. Uh, but that's the end. That's You already were established. Oh, early on? Yeah. Like, yeah. like if you're in and you're like, <laughs> yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think you got to just draw the line there because everyone would do it. So certain guys, when you're established, I think he does it. And charity, he'll do it. But like just he would be there all day. Like, you know, it, you're, it went viral when you had him sign the yeah. ball after you. And do you think part of that situation you approached that was because you already knew him and, and played with him? Yeah, you- I knew him. I, I, we kind of grown together, our, our relationship of respect. And I didn't know how much longer he was going to play. I was going to play whatever. So I kind of just snuck a bunch of stuff for him to sign for family finally over these years. And, and then I kind of snuck the football in there too. You still have the ball? I do have the ball, yeah. What could you get for? You think? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I mean, let me know who's who's listening. I, mean, <laughs> I, want, over, I want over half of five hundred thousand. How do you still train? I got two questions. Left. How do you still train with the intensity that you need to train with when you're waiting on that call instead of knowing who that call is going to be from? 
I did this during COVID. I was a free agent for a long time. When I left Tennessee. I didn't sign with the New York Giants till week one of the season. So I was all the way through training camp and I got in there and I ended up leading the team and snaps played and tackles on stuff. So I've been through this. I just think it's just, it's discipline. I get up and get it done, period. It doesn't matter who I'm playing for. I get up. I know the, I know the work and what I need to do at this point in my career, and I get up and just get it done. You want to come here? I know some people here. I mean, you want to come here? What, the, the Titans? I'm just saying I want to come here. I, I just say I know some people here. I don't know. Like, where you want to go? Where do you see yourself fitting? Well, who needs you? Man, I would love to be in Tampa because I, my family's there, you know? But um, if that's not the case, then I obviously want to play for a, a good organization, a contender, um, that can get a guy to plug in and play and, and, and win championships. Like That's, Tennessee? Yeah, we'll see what their record is yeah. during, during the year. <laughs> he wants to play for the Cowboys. Yeah, sure. uh, Eddie, uh, question for Logan. Yeah, Logan, so like growing up, who did you want to play for? Because I got four kids. Three of them are pretty decent at sports, so I yeah. bought them all jerseys like so they can take baby yeah. pictures with so the announcer can be like, he's always been a 49er yeah. fan from the yeah. very beginning. You know, so like, who did you want to play for? It's crazy. I kept this hidden. I was a New York Giant and I literally kept this hidden, but I grew up a diehard Philly fan because I'm, I'm from South Jersey and there's like no choice. Right? There's Cowboys fans there. They get, they get like beat up daily, fights. It's real rivalries up there. So I was a, I was an Eagles fan growing up. I grew up watching McNabb years and and all those years, Brian Dawkins and all that. So I was big. So when the Phillies won the World Series in 08, 09 or whatever, like our teachers didn't show up to school. Like there was no school. Everyone was at the parade. It's like that type of town. They were climbing the pole, the teachers? Oh, yeah. It's serious. Uh, I'm a big animal guy. Tell me about Ryan's Monthly Rescue and your goal and what you've been able to do so far. Man, we were able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for animals throughout the years. Uh, I just love, I was wait, I was looking for my cause and I love shelter animals. I have rescue dogs. My daughter fosters kittens. So we started a big animal foundation to raise money, awareness, um, and just be a different face in that industry. You don't see young black guys like loving on pit bulls. You see a different type of stereotype. You don't see guys with kittens and stuff like that. So uh, I've done a lot with Natural Humane out here when I was a, a, a uh, still currently and we're just trying to promote adoption and give out grants and stuff for people that are you know struggling with animals and animals need help so i'm just an animal lover at rarf.com which is rarf and you can find them on facebook search for the ryan animal rescue foundation we talked about it a little bit before you got in here but i really appreciate the time man i, I could do this for three hours so yeah um I, I hope that you get picked up by a contender. I hope you still find your fulfillment for playing sports the next couple of years, whatever makes you feel like you still got it. If you still got it, I hope you get, but then when you're done, dude, you're going to kill it in this space. Yeah, man, I got peace. I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. So I'm just, honestly, it's a financial decision at this point. I, Thankfully, I had good team and supporter where financially I made good decisions where I don't have to do that anymore. And my body is important to me. My time with my family is important to me. So I'm in the one making the decisions now and uh, waiting for the right opportunity with the right team. If that doesn't happen and we can do this more often, that's cool too. You know, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Pick pick Suey, man. I played Arkansas in college. You played against them? Yeah, we beat them. Yeah. <laughs> two picks. You had two picks. Yeah. yeah, one got called enough. back. That's how we cut. Co- oh, I did. Okay. One, he, he, he whispered. One guy called back. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Probably. What was it like a clip or something? That's how you got it in the first place. I don't know what. It, yeah, something I didn't do. Somebody yeah. else was yeah. holding. Yeah. Uh, Somewhere else. Follow Logan on Instagram at Logan Ryan. Uh, good luck this season. If it don't work out, let's go. Let's get. Let's do something big. I appreciate it. you guys are awesome, man. It was a big deal to be here, so I appreciate the opportunity. Man, that's crazy. All right, Logan Ryan, everybody. Right. Thanks to Logan Ryan. That's awesome. Really one of the coolest interviews we got to do. Yeah. Just sit for an hour and talk with Logan about that stuff, whatever you wanted. 
Scotty Pippen says Michael Jordan was a horrible player before he got there. Statistically, he says LeBron's going to easily be the greatest statistical player of all time. Obviously, Scotty Pippen's still hurt by The Last Dance and how he's portrayed there. Now, what I did is I went back and looked. These are Jordan's stats without Pippen on the Bulls. 32 points per game, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. But then with Pippen on the Bulls, he had the same exact stat line? Yeah. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. In his two healthy seasons, he was 78 and 86 and 1 and 6 in the playoffs. So that's Jordan's record before Pippen gets there. Now, like we said, the points per game, the rebounds, assists, they were all basically the same. But with Pippen, he was 592 and 238. Again, not Mr. Stats. Dang, that's such a difference. He was 117 and 51 with six championships with Pippen. Now he was 31 and 12 without Pippen in the final three peat years. But by that point, he had other great role players too. I can't get on Pippen's side and say Jordan was garbage, but I do think Scottie Pippen defensively was a beast and made Jordan's life a whole lot easier. I'm going to fall to somewhere in the middle of this. I think they needed each other. And the fact that mom and dad are fighting makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I think Jordan gets all the credit. And I think Pippen should get a little bit of it. And he doesn't. And it probably hurts his feelings. And it hurts his feelings when Jordan does the last dance and acts like Pippen was a crybaby. Scottie Pippen's career stats in 17 seasons with the Bulls, Trailblazers, and Rockets. 16 points a game, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Older Pippen, when he finally got paid, because he didn't get paid, that documentary shows you he kind of got screwed financially. But older Pippen with the Trailblazers and Rockets wasn't the same. Mm -mm. It wasn't prime Pippen. No. They just need to admit they needed each other. But you can't have Michael Jordan admit he needed anything. And Pippen's already said Jordan's garbage. We know that's not true as well. I still think LeBron's best basketball player of all time. I still think it is. And I watch Michael Jordan a ton. But there's not been another LeBron that can do everything that he does with the, si- the size that he is. And he's also has a scoring record. You can hit me with rings, sure. But as we saw here, rings have a lot to do with who else is on your team. Because Jordan was garbage until Pippen got there. <laughs> I started to get on Pippen's side after saying that. <laughs> yeah. Quentin Tarantino once paid a stripper 10000 bucks to lick her toes until they were prunes. Man. I said dis- dis- disposable money. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just like, you got so much money. You have access to everything. So what do you do? You have a foot fetish and you go lick some toes until they prune. Like how much spit is coming out of his mouth? to pr- It takes me a solid 35 minutes in the bathtub to start pruning anything. And I'm sitting directly in water. Yeah. I mean, tongue in that? <laughs> tongue in a toe? A lot of work. God dang. That's got to take, he's licking toes for an hour. He had to be doing some toe sucking though too. It just can't be licking. <laughs> I know this is licking, but he's got to be doing some toe sucking with them in the bathtub of his mouth. He's getting juicy in there. Yeah. It's like he's got to be holding them in his mouth bathtub because otherwise that ain't pruning. A former strip club manager in Hollywood says Quentin Tarantino once came in and asked for a VIP room and a girl, and then he proceeded to lick her feet and suck her toes until they look like prunes, and he gave her $10,000. After 30 minutes, the guy says her feet look like prunes. 
Quentin gave her 10 grand. You know, mm, it's tough. I'm thinking about if I would take 10 grand to have my toes sucked <laughs> by Quentin Tarantino. By him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd do it for 10 grand. Well, yeah, but you like movies. Yeah. <laughs> You I don't mean, get to ask him any questions about directing, Mike. Oh, even <laughs> if I don't have to ask one single question, I would do it for ten grand. Mm. I'm okay right now, where I don't. <sighs> I, I wouldn't do it for ten grand. You're not the one doing it. You're the one. I mean, I'm yeah. taking it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still probably not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. I know. A hundred grand. I think we're talking. Ten. Probably not. You. Weirdo Quentin Tarantino sucking on your toes. Yeah, for see, thirty you minutes. Say weirdo Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Ten grand. Uh, probably not. No. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Look, that's it. Let's go around the room here. Final thoughts. Ah, uh, Kevin, we'll get yours over with. Go ahead. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted mentally, physically, from being a fan. This series, the last two weeks, has just. From the ultimate highs to the ultimate lows, from uh, whether it's a shot or a game or the series, and I'm just exhausted, and I feel like I need to have f- a few days to recoup before. Need to have your toe sucked. To, yeah. yeah. Can we <laughs> call here, Kevin? Yes. yes. To get Mr. Tarantino on the phone. So I'm happy the series is over because I'm exhausted. Our camera guy, Reed. Reed, what's up? What's going on? So I am leaving tomorrow, actually, to go to the UK. I'm going to... Uh, Kentucky. He's going to watch Kentucky basketball. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to London and, and Scotland, and it's going to be fun. I have not packed whatsoever, so I need to do a lot of preparation. Also, I didn't even know they had different plugs there. You, they do, yeah. So You I, can get that stuff at the airport. Okay. That's probably the best place because you can go to a gas station, too. But it's like finding an extension cord at a gas station here. Like, you got to find the right kind of gas station to have an extension cord. Like, country gas stations have extension cords. But I I would just get a couple of those at the airport. Yeah, or one. It just depends how many things you got to plug in. Yeah. Uh, I went to Utah over the weekend and watched Utah softball win their Super Regional. And be honest with you, pretty freaking cool. My brother-in-law, the assistant head coach there, but he's really gone in there, and, in my opinion, totally flipped that program and they're going to be in Oklahoma City playing the College World Series first time that teams ever made it or at least since 94 so first time since 94 so this coaching the, uh, the head coach there has never been until now and they had never hosted a super regional and so that's where I'll be this weekend is in Oklahoma City watching women's softball Big, it's. I'm going to tell you this. The environment in a stadium is so much more fun than a college baseball game. And I love college baseball and Arkansas is in a regional. But, you know, dudes, they got to be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you take the energy from the players. And they're all like yelling, singing, doing cheer. I mean, it's, it's definitely, as they say, a vibe <laughs> in a college softball stadium. I mean, people, it's nonstop. I mean, it's music. I mean, it is. It's so. It's just so much more active than a baseball game. And I love baseball. Love college baseball. And I'll be rooting for Arkansas. Probably going. But I'm telling you, if you have to go to one of a team you don't know, man, college softball is so much more fun just to be at the game. I never thought I'd say it, but I have to say it. That's it. Hope you guys have a great rest of the day. I don't know if we'll be back this week or not, but if we will, it'll be up on the 25 Whistles feed only. Like I said, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know when we'll be back, but I assume it'll be sometime soon. We'll probably talk about the 
finals if something crazy happens. Mm-hmm. But we're not under a schedule. We're under our own rule now. Thank you. I'll blow the whistle. We'll get out of here. Until next time. We'll see you guys. Theme song written by Bobby Bones and performed by Brandon Ray. Follow Brandon on socials at Brandon Ray Music. Thanks to our crew, segment producer at Kickoff Kevin, video producer at Reed Yarberry, and executive producer at Mike Distro. Most importantly, thank you for listening. I'm Bobby Bones. We'll talk to you next week. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.